0: And now, here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela.
1: We are in the studio with John Dow. John is one of the lost boys of Sudan, who was featured in the 2006 award winning documentary God Grew Tired of Us. John is a human rights activist for the people of South Sudan. In 2007, he founded the John Dow Foundation which aims to transform healthcare in South Sudan. John, thank you so much for coming on the Trail Less Traveled.
2: Thank you for having me, Mandela.
1: Welcome to Montana. What do you think of Montana?
2: It's great. When I was coming, it was just beautiful. You look down, you see all these rolling mountains and creeks. You see water there, you see beautiful, beautiful. It was just wonderful. This is my first time to come to the state of Montana. Wonderful.
1: I'm glad you're here. John, where did you grow up, and how was outdoor adventure a part of your childhood?
2: Well, I grew up in a place called Republic of South Sudan. It used to be known as the entire Sudan. It split into two, 2011. Before it split into two, it was known as Sudan. I grew up in the southern part of Sudan. And the place is, right now, the modern state of Jonglei, known as Jonglei State, in a place called Duke County. This is where my village has been, and it's still where my village is today. You know, when we grew up, we were living in a very, very remote and very traditional setting where a number of family, maybe extended family, they settle together, which means they construct their houses together. Another extended family could be kind of a distant, maybe about a mile away from you. So almost everyone that live in a village Almost all of them are related in some way. And our lives depend on keeping animals, such as cows and goats, chicken. And also, uh, my father and my mom, they were what is called mixed farmers. They keep cows, they keep livestock, and grow foods, such as millets, sorghum, maize. What our dad do in South Sudan, of course, our mom as well, they build what are now called tukuls. These are huts for boys, another hut for girls, another hut for mom and dad, and then another hut for visitors, and kind of in the same circle. So you keep your cows inside there. There is one big hut called luak in dinka. This is where you put your cows in during the night. In the morning, <clears throat> the boys lead them out. It's starting when you are maybe about four or five. Then you start doing something. You are given a job to do. If you are so small or so young, you will be able to just maybe deal with caps. You have to start doing something. If you are a little girl, you also help with mom. Even if you're not doing anything, mom starts teaching you how to become a very productive, hardworking, respectful young lady when you grow up later. Your dad or your uncle do the same to you as a boy. So you start responsibility at that time. That's what we did. I remember my brothers and I, because I am the youngest of two brothers from same mom, I scroll out of our hut and then go there and help. Get the cows out, get the goats out, get the sheep out. That's the setting. Your mom and dad will go to the farm and start cultivating, removing weed. And you are also given a task. For example, if the millets are ready, the wild birds come and eat them. So what you do is that you have to be asked to do something. You scare the bird by throwing a stone or a little mud to, so you scare them away. That's why you do that all day. Sometimes when the cows are ready to go out, go grass, they're not like in the United States. They are controlled. Cows are controlled in America. They have a paddocking. docking. They go to Get grass here, and then tomorrow they go to another part of your land to grass. Our cows are free range. They just wander. So before you go after cows to take care of them the whole day, what you do is your mom will give you your food, and then you drink milk. And then you know you have a spear, maybe two spears, and then a stick. Those are your arm, those are your weapon to carry with, just in case if animal such as hyenas or a lion attack you later. So all the boys converge, the cow put together, and then the boys go. When they are out, the boys take turn taking care of cows. Go, it's your turn, go and get the cow closer. We even sit down there and talk like boys, which means tell stories. Talk about one upon a time when a hyena was talking to a fox or a chicken talking to an ego, or something like that. So you tell stories. And it was something known that if you tell more stories and good stories and funny stories, this is how you also earn your leadership. People will now respect you and now look up to you because you have some sort of talent. And to talk about talent, if you run out of story, you create one. So that's what we do the whole day. And then you bring cars back. Some other boys taking care of cabs. cab and bring them back together, and then you tie them down because they are tied with a rope. Each cow have its own rope. Each cow had its own name. And so when your mom comes later and milk cows, because cows are milked by girls and women, not men, men that are initiated, they don't milk cow at all because they're kind of out of that. And so when your mom milk cows, you let one cab go, and then... You say the name of her mom, and you could say maybe Pakau or Duke, and then the mom will get up because that is the time for her to be milked. And then you send a cab to, and the cab start sucking, and then you pull the cab back, and then the mom will milk it. You put the cows back into their lock. and then all of us gather to eat. Your dad will eat last. The boys and the girls eat first, especially children eat first, and then maybe little grown boys or girls eat second. And then maybe mom and dad now start eating. So that's the whole day. That's what you do. There was no school. There was nothing. There was no road. There were no cars. I mean, there was no anything, radios, whatever it is. There was completely nothing. The way to communicate with the other neighbor or with the other village is to send somebody to go and tell, hey, we are going to do this tomorrow. Or some leaders, those who take care of the whole community, they meet under a big tree. There was no watch. So what you do is you either look at how the shade is completely under the tree. That means the sun is overhead, and so that's a time. You could say, okay, where is the sun now? Your dad will send you to see whether people are there or people are gathering under that big tree so that they can hear issues. There's a problem, somebody married to a girl, maybe is not paying dowry, or there was some sort of argument that need to be heard by sheep and elders. And so those are issues that are solved. There were no policemen. And so the old men start gathering one by one with a skin of an animal for them to sit on. There were no chairs. The Paramount chief would sit in the middle. The other chief would sit on both sides, right and left. And then the other people that are having dispute or something like they sit in the middle there. And there'll be somebody sitting between them. And then they now talk about they argue. They talk about their issue, their cases and so on. And then later, you could see other people who are not even neither what, but they come there to listen. They stand outside there. And then the issue is being heard by everyone. Eventually, the junior chief will start making the decision until the paramount chief will say, this is it, and that's it. This person is wrong. That person has right. That will be it. There's no way you can go anywhere. Weddings are done in a very colorful way. You want to marry to a young, very beautiful girl like you. So what you do is it becomes everyone affairs. You know, in America, you know, people date. So you go with somebody, girl, to go around. You can't do that in South Sudan. Otherwise, people will cut your head off. Because you can't go around with somebody, girl, unless it is something that has been organized and become your wife. This is where you can go out. If you want to get married, when a man is about 35 and so on, this is when you are allowed to get married. You are not allowed to get married as a boy or a man when you are in your 20s because you are not responsible. You're still young. But you can get married to a young girl who is maybe from 19 and above. That's okay. But a man has to be a little bit older because he's going to be the head of the family. He's going to be the one who will provide. So when you are around 30 years old and above, you are asked by your uncle and your mom and your dad and others, that is your time to get married. And so you come with your cousins and so on and say, we have been seeing this girl. This girl and that girl and that girl, maybe you can count up to five or four, depending on who you've been talking to. So you can date many girls. And girls can date many boys. Your family members, that including aunties, that including uncles, that including almost everyone in the extended family. And they said, okay, this girl is good. They narrowed down until they will find one girl. Not only that she is beautiful and good, but her family are wonderful. They have better good background. Then they will say, okay, we're going to go to their family, and we're going to tell them that we would like to have a relationship. Inform the parent of the girl and the relative of the girl, and then they will be sent back and say, okay, we're going to get back to you in one month or something like that. And then the relative of the girl, the parent of the girl, will go again and say, who is John? Is it a good guy? Who are his parents? Are they good? And so on. So that's how the wedding are started. Once, assume that both sides agree to each other and they like each other, then the marriage will go forward. A young men will come, the young girl, and they could start talking and then now bringing cows to the girl family, not to the men family. Then once you do that, the negotiation will start. Well, this girl's very beautiful, very tall and nice and so on. You can't just give 20 cows or 30 cows or even 50 cows. It should be 150. And then the other said, well, we don't have more. And look at what we have. And then the negotiation will go on for a week until they now came to where they agree, maybe 100 cows. And then wedding is being agreed now, but you're not going to have your wife yet. Maybe in America and in some other places said, well, you are buying a woman. No, you're not buying a woman. You can't buy a human being because human being is priceless. What we do with what we call a dowry is the appreciation of somebody who's giving you their daughter, their lovely daughter, for nothing. I mean, you have to appreciate that. So we don't give money. We only give cows because cows are alive. You know, you can't give money as a dowry because that would be considered maybe buying because they have no life in money. But there's life in animals, in cows, in goats, in sheep, in chicken, and so on. That's how we African do that. And that's how, in South Sudan, the marriage started, and that's where they ended. After that, almost everything is cleared. Now the dates are put together, scheduled. This is a time that you come and take your wife. And then you come with the dancing and so on. You will be at the family of the girl for maybe about three days. And then after that, you take your wife with maybe 10 girls or 30 girls. We mean they are bringing girls to a new family. It will not be just only one girl because it's going to be maybe tough. It doesn't know anybody there. So as 20 will leave today, 10 will leave tomorrow, 5 will leave, and then 2 will leave until one girl remains with her for 2 months. And then after that, it's known that a new wife is now acquainted to everyone in the new family. Now the last girl will leave. If there's any problem our salt in a family level, especially with the sheep. Our sheep are respected, are very good people. We didn't have police, we didn't have a prison completely. That's how our life was. As I said before there was no hospital, there were no clinic, there were no nurse, there were no doctor, there were no medicine. So when you get sick, someone in the village will say that they know how to treat that kind of a disease by going and find herbs roots of a certain plan which only themselves know to them because when they are going out to find it they don't allow people to follow them because you know that's a business it's a monopoly other than that the christianity was not yet there until when i was seven years old there was no christianity my family believed on rain that was our god rain so when it rain rain we know that that's our god and we talk to rain you have many gods one belonged to your mother, maybe one belonged to your dad, and so you will end up having maybe five to ten gods somewhere in your family. And so you have to give some offering, food, maybe slaughtered chicken. Now, if you have a child or somebody in their family having a disease that is persisting, somebody in the village will say, you know what, the reason as to why John is sick is because there is a certain god who is not happy not happy because you have not been giving him or her offerings and maybe your dad will slaughter a goat or a bull now this god became so expensive how many shoulders there are going to get sick and how many goats are you going to slaughter your chickens or maybe bulls those god became so expensive so when christianity came 1942 i think that's when it get to my village well the missionaries came and said you believe in the Lord Jesus, and you're not going to give any offering. It's so cheap. Nothing that you're going to give. You're not going to offer. You're not going to of cows and so on. My parents said, well, I think this is so cheap. I think that's okay. Until when my village was attacked. In 1987, when my village was attacked. So all of these were interrupted in 1987 when I was 12 years old. It was interrupted when my village was attacked in South Sudan, and other villages were attacked. They were attacked because of the war started in the northern part of South Sudan. Maybe there are people who may not understand what happened in Sudan, why there was wars. There were many wars going on. One started in 1955. That war ended in 1972. Another war started in 1983 and then ended in 2005. Yet another war started in 2003, and one started just 2013. So this country, known as Sudan, and now South Sudan, has been going through many sufferings, especially because of these wars that have been fought for no other reason than just being greed.
1: You are listening to The Trail Less Traveled, We are in the studio with John Dow. John is one of the Lost Boys of Sudan, who was featured in the 2006 award-winning documentary, God Grew Tired of Us. John is a human rights activist for the people of South Sudan. In 2007, he founded the John Dow Foundation, which aims to transform healthcare in South Sudan. Now, we've just been hearing about John's beautiful childhood. Up until 1987, when John was 12 years old, his village was invaded. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk about that and talk a little bit of the history of it. But John, please sing us a song. Tell us about the song you're going to sing.
2: <laughs> well, the song that I'm going to sing here is a song composed in an African way. It was composed by my uncle. He is well-known in South Sudan. His name is Kow Lake L-E-E-K. In many of his songs, he portell even the war that happened in South Sudan. Even the war that happened in 1983 and then displaces that in 1987. And so that's why I like to sing that song, talking about that uh, war has not ended, because the war that started in 1955 ended in 1972 with the signing of what we call Addis Ababa Agreement. And that was thought to brought the war to an end. And many of southerners thought that war is over and there will be no problem again. And he said, no. War is not over. It's still a problem. So I'm going to sing that song in Dinka. I'm sorry those who may be listening may not understand what does that mean. But I just want to also sing so that I can start the other part of my story. <laughs> Chaka mancha nyaka ya yee, a yee lwe ti oba weruun. Chaka ni alchala kwa jang, apanyo toku jo gaga ding, kubulma gany, wera tera kwa chii, kwa chie lwe Akuma banya wera tera kwa chii, Pindana ye wong lwe le ti kubaya Pindana ye jieng lwele tioba jitok Kubaya ngode ngungur jeja gotu yuwe tu kwa kin itpano mani chaye Nang rande yin pande kubini roo juthiang Yamtok, yaya mtok Tioba la nywanya tioba lia jidaan kour Ayyige Nang rande yin pande Kubeniro roo juthiang Tioba yaya mtok Tioba la nywanya tioba
0: And now back to The Trail As Traveled with Mandela.
1: We are in the studio with John Dow. John is one of the Lost Boys of Sudan who was featured in the 2006 award-winning documentary God Grew Tired of Us. John is a human rights activist for the people of South Sudan. In 2007, he founded the John Dow Foundation, which aims to transform healthcare in South Sudan. John was born into the Dinka tribe in war-torn South Sudan. Sudan has gone through a series of civil wars from 1955 until 1972, from 1983 until 2005, and more recently from 2013 until present. In 1987, John was 12 years old and his village was attacked by government troops involved in the second Sudanese civil war between the Muslim-controlled government in the north and the non-Muslim in South Sudan violence scattered his family and forced him to travel on foot for three months until reaching Ethiopia. John, let's talk about what you remember on the day when your village was attacked.
2: Addis Ababa agreement in 1972 that was signed and that promised people of South Sudan to be given their autonomy, Mm -hmm. given their government, manage their resources. President Nimeri at that time, who was the president of Sudan, who actually signed the peace agreement in Addis Ababa in 1972, backtrack it. That was in 1983. He said, you know what? Southerners should not be given their autonomy. And so they decided to cancel that agreement. They dishonored it. And so they said, this is not a word of Bible, neither word of Quran to not be canceled. And so he canceled. And what he did, he declared a country as Islamic country, which means a Muslim country that will be governed with a constitution having Sharia law in it. Whereas the entire population are not all Muslims. The actually half of that are non-Muslims. they are all Christian or believe in enemies, believe in their ancestral gods. And so that move angered people of South Sudan that they should be subjected to either you commit adultery, you are stoned to death, you steal something, your hand will be cut off. all these kind of things, as the Sharia law said. So people of South Sudan didn't like that. They started disobedient. They didn't want that to be declared in their country. And so the war started in 1983. The people of South Sudan became a resistant group and the government, on the other hand, fighting. And so as they want to break the bone or break the back of rebellion in South Sudan, the North, the government, which later called itself National Islamic Front, starts saying the way to defeat them is to actually destroy anything you can find. You go to South Sudan, kill anything you can find, boys especially, because when you kill boys, there will be no one growing up to join a resistant group. And when you rape girls and take in Khartoum to become concubines, that's how you inflict a deep damage into them so that that's how you can really defeat them. The North sent troops to South Sudan, and they're coming from village to village to destroy, burn it down, loot cows, do all the bad thing that, you can imagine. They didn't get to my village until 1987, In that time when I was 12 years old. You can hear families. You can hear adults talking about, what about if the war come here? What about we are attacked? Where do we go? Do we run to the west or do we go to the east? Where do we hide? We children, we didn't really pay attention to what they were discussing. But you can see that there is really pressure in the faces of these adults. You see there's a problem. But anyway, we went off and playing and doing our own thing until 1987, when in the middle of night, when my village was attacked, it was attacked from the west. And they were shooting, throwing bombs on those villages, including mine. My brothers and I, we were sleeping our own house, so the bombardment, the whistling of bullet, woke us up in the middle of night, so we got out. I got outside, I saw somebody running across my home compound that I thought it was my dad. So I ran after that man in the middle of the night. My brothers and sisters took their direction. As I was catching up with this man that I thought it was my dad, later it turned out to be my neighbor. The houses burned down, the cows were looted, the women raped, the girls were taken, young men, some of them were killed. It was a total destruction. That is why in my book saying it was as if God got tired of us. So that's how that name came from. So with that man, I was with him that night. In the morning, I was with him as well. He said that I should come with him. We're attacked from the west, so we're going toward east of the village. And later said that I'll go back and find my family and say, no, you have to come with me. His wife, his son, and his daughter all were killed that night. I went with him. That's when I was separated. And we were going to toward Ethiopia. Some people told us that if you go to Ethiopia, there is a relative peace there. You can live there, maybe go to UN camps. But to get to Ethiopia, it took me about three months to get there on barefoot. Nothing to eat. At night, was very cold. We only live on wild fruits, chewing grass like a cow. First of all, we were five. We ran into some of the boys. Then we became 19. And then at the end, we were 27 of us. Some were killed by wild animal. others died because of starvation. others they lost. There was nothing to eat. At night, you listen to the sound of frog, when the frog is making noise in this direction. So you go and tie a grass together, so tomorrow morning you know the direction where the frog were making noise, maybe there's water, or you see when... Birds are circling around. Then you know that either something is dead there or there is water there. That's how we find water. Completely, it was a desperate situation. By the time we get to Ethiopia, we were only four. Because others died, start drinking human urine so that you stay alive. The eating mud kill you as well. So only four of us were lucky to arrive in Ethiopia. From there, some of the boys who came in groups, 10, 15, 1, whatever it is, we accumulate, all came from different villages as the Arab were so terrible attacking that village and that village. And so all the boys will come from the other different villages and will converge in Ethiopia. We were put in a camp, now organized in the groups. There were 50 groups, 50 people make a group. I was taller than the other boys, so I was picked to become a leader of one group. My group started out as 50 people as a family. So we're taking care of each other. If someone is sick, that's how these 50 people as a family start taking care of each other. Later, my group became 1,200 boys. At that age, they were from age four, 5 to age 15. These boys are crying every single day. They want to eat food. They want to see their mom. They want to see their cows or something like that and crying every day. I need help as well. But because I was put as a leader of one group, I was just trying to help other younger boys. We only lie to them, say today is bad, tomorrow may be good. The United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, known as UNHCR and World Food Program, they heard about us, start bringing food, and then diseases such as cholera, typhoid, warfare, corp, measles, chicken, fox. We're killing boys every day. My own group, about three or two boys, dying every day. We take them to bury them somewhere where we can give our brothers dignity. If you come back the following day, you could find the bodies of those you bought it yesterday eaten by wild animals such as hyenas or lion and so on. That was a better graphic part of a life story. But we didn't give up. We stayed the course, fighting with that situation. And then our camp was improving. And four years later, we were okay. There was enough food. The United Nations brought some secondhand clothes. If you get up top, somewhere else will get the bottom. They distributed blankets such as quills. Quilt. You know, a It has some layers in it, like uh, four layers or two layers or something. So you rip one part off and sew it together as your underwear or your shirt. And then you keep the other part to cover yourself at night from the cold. Four years later, our life was getting better, and the problem didn't finish. The government of Ethiopia, which was good to us, was overthrown by the Ethiopian rebel based in northern Sudan. And now the new government didn't like us. They said, go back to where you came from. Actually, this is the current government of Ethiopia today. They asked us to move back to South Sudan. The number of the lost boys, the girls, and some adults, we became 27,000. As we were moving back to South Sudan, they gave us seven days. As we were moving back to South Sudan, there was no cars to take out, no buses, nothing. So we kept going, carrying our food on our head, barefoot. Eventually, we get to the border of Sudan and Ethiopia, but there was a river called Gilo there. River Gilo has a lot of crocodiles in it. Now, there was no way to cross it, no boat. Some of us didn't know how to swim. We tried to tie a rope to a tree and have somebody swim to the other side, to tie the other tree so that people can hold it and swim the other side. It took us seven days trying to figure out how we can cross. Unfortunately, the government of Ethiopia, new government, sent troops up to Tarazan and they started shooting, killing some of the boys. We knew that this might be some Arab coming so that they can take us to northern Sudan to be forced into Islam or be enslaved or something like that. And so we didn't like that. So dive into the water, some were shot and killed, others drowned, others eaten by crocodiles, others lost, others captured. Myself and other boys who were better lucky, we crawled through the river. We got back to the outside of the river, to a place called Pochala. We stayed there in Pochala. I think about 12,000 of us survived. Pochala there was controlled by Sudan People Liberation Army, the South Sudanese resistant group known as Rebels. And they welcome us and we share food they had or well, we all ran out. There was, there was no food. Now we start selling our clothes that were given to us by the United Nations for food. And that was very desperate. Nine months there in Pochala, we're being bombed by Sudan government. They send Antonov, that is the Russian aircraft known as Antonov, bomb us there twice every day in the morning, in the afternoon. Then we decided to move the interior part of South Sudan. We were attacked there in a place called Kapoita. We moved from Kapoita to another place called Nairus. We were attacked there in the 1992. We crossed into a different country, Kenya, in 1992, on foot. There were no cars, there were no buses, there was nothing barefoot. So the Kenyan government was so generous to allow us to come into their territory. And they moved us to a place today known as Kakuma refugee camp, which is the largest camp in the world today. There was nothing there. It was just a desert. So they brought us there. And one good thing the Kenyan government did, they didn't allow Sudan troops to cross into their territory. And they were really good. They start with a very small clinic. And then they gave us a place to stay in the desert. And then they start building our huts, little houses. And this is when our pictures started. This is where they start education school. i never been to school until I was 17. At the age of 17, this is when I start to learn 1, 2, 3, A, B, C, D. I'd never been to any school of any kind before. Our school were under trees, sitting on the dirt, using our fingers as, as, as pencils. It was great because we were getting education, something that if you get education, nobody else will take it away from you. It was good, beautiful. The United Nations, the UNHCR, came to help us. So under trees, when the rain rains, there are no classes. There's no class sessions. Just run home. So we did that for three years. So you actually make a space in front of you that is your maybe exercise book. In America they call notebook. In Africa call exercise book. So your exercise book actually is just a piece of space in front of you that we just write thing. When examination comes, you write it there, a teacher will say it, and then you write it down, giving you a dictation. In the soil, in front in of you. In the soil, sitting on the soil, writing all these things on the soil on on the dirt. And that's how we learn. Three years later, you are promoted to fourth grade. you got to work hard to go to a classroom. What is a classroom? It's just a structure, have a roof, and that's it. So you sit on the floor. There was no floor. It's just a dirty soil floor. We were very happy. They will give you a exercise book and then exercise book could be cut into three, so three of us can share it. One textbook for 25 people. So you share. you read it today, give it to somebody tomorrow and that's how scarcity the school material were in our case, until 1999, when I was in my 11th grade, finish my high school in 2000. And then American came, they are going to take us to United States. We really didn't believe them. And then they start doing paperwork, putting out through what is called medical checkups, so you are checked with all these big diseases. If you don't have them, you are clear. Went through those in August 2001. I was flown to the United States, given that opportunity to come to America. And this is when I came to Syracuse, New York, started my life. I enrolled at Onondaga Community College, finished my associate degree in 2005, then transferred to Syracuse University. That is the story of my life, what happened when my village was attacked to the time I'm talking to you today.
1: You're listening to The Trail Less Traveled, outdoor adventure with Mandela on The Trail 1033. We are in the studio with John Dow. John is one of the Lost Boys of Sudan. John was born into the Dinka tribe in war-torn South Sudan. Sudan has gone through a series of civil wars from 1955 until 1972, from 1983 until 2005, and more recently from 2013 until present. In 1987, John was 12 years old and his village was attacked by government troops involved in the Second Sudanese Civil War between the Muslim-controlled government in the north and the non-Muslim in South Sudan. Violence scattered his family and forced him to travel on foot for three months until reaching Ethiopia. On the day when your village was attacked, John, may I ask what happened to your family that night?
2: They took their own direction. Luckily, they were safe. All of my brothers, my sisters, my mom and my dad thought I was dead. And I thought they also dead. Maybe something happened to them. They took their own direction and they went to Uganda. Uganda is a country in East Africa. They were there first as a displaced people inside South Sudan. And then 1998, they were attacked there and they moved to Uganda. And I was in Kenya. When I came to the United States, I was able to send a letter back to my friend in Kakuma refugee camp. And my friend went to Uganda and said, America is doing good job. My friend John wrote me a letter and said, America is good. Even when they said, <laughs> believing that women in the United States, they kill people. They have guns. They can kill you if you behave really bad. So I was telling my friend, no, women are not killing people. This is good. People welcome us. It's a very nice place.
1: Was it a belief in East Africa that women killed people?
2: friend of mine, narrator, said, if you go to America, every woman you could find in the United States, they carry small bags. And he said, do you know what in those small bags? I said, no. And he said, they have guns in it. So if, if you mess up with them, they'll shoot you. So I was telling my friend that, no, women are just so nice, very good. Well, they carry small bags, but they have no guns in it. Uh, this friend of mine, Daniel, he was talking to people in Uganda. My brother, Goy, came to him and said, so who is that John? Well, he said, it's John from Denga, from Bor from Nyarweng, from Duke, and so on. My brother said, it might be my brother. Well, that guy was invited to go to refugee camp where my mom and my dad and everyone were. And he was again interviewed, who's this John? So he gave my address, my Syracuse address. And so my brother wrote a letter, if you're my brother John, know that we are still alive. If you're different John, disregard it. And he enclosed pictures. So I received that on October 18, 2002.
1: And that's when you found out your family was alive yes. still?
2: Yes, that's when I was bound out of that. And then I worked hard, brought my mother and my younger sister.
1: To come to America? Yes. How did it feel, John, in your heart when you found out your family was alive?
2: When I opened that letter and bluff, and I could see that my family is still there and they're there, at that moment I thought, now, am I dreaming? Picking myself whether I'm dreaming or this is true. So when you don't give up, you will get to be able to find something that you never would have found if you just give up.
1: We are speaking with John Dow. John's village was attacked in 1987 during the Second Sudanese Civil War. He traveled by foot for three months until he reached Ethiopia. He spent four years in a refugee camp in Ethiopia. He was forced to flee again when a civil war broke out in the region. The Ethiopian government asked him to leave. You faced starvation, thirst, and fear. When you were walking across Africa,
2: you were probably barefoot? All barefoot. I never got a pair of shoes until I came to United States.
1: Barefoot until you came to the United States? Until
2: I came to America. Until, of course, before you, you bought a plane to come to United States, you got to have a shoe. Our ration, given to us by UNHCR, we sold those ration because I'm going to come to America to buy shoes. I never had a pair of belt until I came to America. I never owned two pants until I came to United States. All of the things that I get here, I feel certified because I never had that opportunity to be having things. John, tell us
1: about walking across Africa when you're faced with starvation, thirst, and fear, primarily with the animals, because you are walking with the animals and sleeping at night with the animals. And I've camped in East Africa, and I know that when I'm sleeping on top of the Land Rover, I'm still thinking about the animals are there, but you were sleeping on the ground with all these other boys. So tell us about what it was like when you were sleeping at night and hearing those animals.
2: Let's say from my village to Ethiopia, and then from Ethiopia back to South Sudan, those journeys were very terrible. Maybe people will say when you sleep, you sleep in a bed. In our case, you just sleep where you were walking, and then that's it. Then you come to stop there and decide this is it. Now, there is tall grass at that height. The time when our village was attacked is November. You just don't sleep in the in the middle of a pass. So you go deep in the forest where nobody will find you. Hopefully, nobody will find you. And then you step on this big long grass, and then push it down to your foot. Push it down until it becomes something kind of a little smoother. We all sleep together so that we can have worms because it's cold out. So we come very close to each other and then sleep there. Things like mosquitoes, snake at night, for example, a snake can beat some of the boys. So it was terrible. Sometime you are going to stay awake so that you can guide us, and then somebody will sleep. The rest sleep for maybe about two hours. Then somebody will wake up, and you sleep. So you took a turn, and that's how we did it.
1: John, when you took a turn keeping watch, you're sitting there in the darkness because you guys have no flashlights. You're l- listening to what Africa's sounds are at night. What did you hear besides the frogs?
2: Lots of things, such as cricket. Cricket making noise. We became to learn how to identify the footprint and the put sound of something coming, whether that is two legs or four legs. The two legs is not very busy, but the four leg is kind of a busy at some night, we were attacked by wild animal. They smell us, and they come, hyenas or lion. The lion are good. The lion could not attack us unless it is a very old lion that cannot run after uh, the other wild animal for food. Mm-hmm. Then it will attack you. Mm-hmm. But hyenas can attack you no matter what. So what we did was when hyenas come, their activities is known. It's coming, we say,
0: nying, 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 nying,
2: quack, quack, you know, kind of making sound. You know that hyenas are coming. When they persist to come, and then you have to yell, all of you yell. If they persist, they're still coming in, so you get up and run toward it, they, they run away. If you are only one or two, maybe they kill you. The are very coward. What you do is find a way, so we had a stick, throw it at them, and then they go away. Maybe they will come back again, and then try a second time. Then you do the same, then they will just decide to go away. Lion, we run into lion many times, but they walk away. We ran away, and then they just look at you while you're running, not doing anything. Unless the lion that has cubs, maybe that became dangerous. So at night, you listen to what is walking toward you, whether two legs or four-leg things, to find something to eat. When we find water, we go into the water and then make a circle and then sit at the same time. You all go and you think maybe this place might have a fish or something. And then you go, all of you, four of you, five or ten, whatever number, and then you all sit down at the same time. And then you put your hand here, try to see, maybe look around. You look for if there is a fish. Then if there is a fish, you can catch it because there's no way they can go anywhere. You trap them like that. That's how we fish. Sometimes if you are in the water, of course, water attracts so many things, such as People. And so there was an instance where the militia came. We knew that they are coming because they are talking. And there's no way we can run away. So somewhere we lay in the water with your nose just only above the water. At that time, I feel like they can see me because of the adrenaline running in my body, in my, my system, and it making me kind of a, I can't stay down. I hold myself down with the plan and so on, but I keep coming up. I kept coming up oh, while they are taking shower. Oh. It was terrible.
1: In 2001, John, you became one of 3,800 young Sudanese refugees who resettled in the United States, and I'm sure you faced a lot of different culture shocks, one of which would be grocery stores full of food. Tell me about that.
2: Grocery is full of food. I mean, when we came to Syracuse, New York, the people who volunteered from our church, and they came from the airport. They took us to our apartment, and they show us almost everything. This is that. This is this. This is how you turn on light. This is how you turn off light. This is your refrigerator where you can put some kind of food. This is where you can food the other food. This is the bathroom, cold water, hot water, and so on. It took them the whole day giving us orientation. And then after that, before they go home, they said, John, we will take you to see a grocery store. We'll show you how you can check out your food, how you can pick food, and so on. I said, yeah, let's go. So we went, and I was following one of them known as Susan Myers. As we came to a door, and a magic door opened itself like this. I was so amazed at it. Inside me, I said, these people might be very lazy. That's why they <laughs> they don't want to pull and push the doors. <laughs> Inside the grocery store, it's lots of food. It came to what I know today called salad. And I was wondering if they have cows, why they have grass in their store. I didn't know that people can eat grass if they were not in the situation I was. My friend, there was a lots and lots of food. We go up one aisle of this food and that food, and I was so amazed That a country is so wealthy, even have aisles of dog food and cat food? No, my God. I said, these people are so rich, the animals have their own aisles. And people are so stubborn somewhere in Africa. I was not very jealous because that's what, they work hard to get those. But I was amazed of how abundance people have in the United States.
0: (laughs)
1: We are in the studio with John Dow. We're going to come back and talk about the John Dow Foundation, which was set up in 2007. John is one of the Lost Boys of Sudan, who was featured in the 2006 award-winning documentary, God Grew Tired of Us. It is also the title of his memoir, which was released by the National Geographic Society in 2007. John, can you sing us another song, please?
2: (laughs) The song that I'm going to sing now is one of the songs that we sung when we were in those terrible journeys from my home village to Ethiopia and then from Ethiopia back to South Sudan until to Kenya. We still sing that because it's a song of encouragement. We encourage each other, those who easily give up, those who say that, well, I am so hungry, I can't move, I can't walk, I can't do this. That song we sang so that it can give people strength, encourage them so that they continue with the journey. And the way we sang it is again the mixture of Arabic and Dinka it goes like this Rajil Jubar mamana taban mamana Rajil Jubar mamana taban mamana pikuya bongo ya Doktor John Ramzi sura deny bongo baya Panda pikala wajalep Ah, pibongo hey, hey pi bongo, paturna tumbangna. juljubar mama na taban mama na pi kulia bongo ya. Doctor John Ramsey so, bongo. Baalwilvanda, Vanda ah, pi kala wajalep. Ah, hey, hey, pi bongo, paturna tumbangna.
0: We return to the trail less traveled.
2: John,
1: let's talk about the John Dow Foundation and what's currently going on in South Sudan.
2: The mission of John Dow Foundation is to bring healthcare to the people of South Sudan that have none at all. The reason why I started with health, you have to be well to go to school. You have to be well to work. You have to be well to do other activities. You cannot produce until you are well, you are healthy. The John Foundation has built a hospital known as Duke Loss Boy Clinic. Since 2007 until today, we have treated over 120,000 people. In 2011 and 12, very important doctors came to my village, came to my clinic, and they helped operate on almost 600 people who were blind. Now those 600 people can see. It's a great thing. We helped so many people. Over 9,000 mothers gave birth to the clinic. Over 10,000 children vaccinated. I had a policy and still have the same policy of peace. So this clinic admit everyone, help everyone, whether you're Muslim, you're Christians, you're from different tribe than my own tribe, you are helped for free. The way to help our people is to bring the help that I get from the great people of the United States of America and help my people with it. And the clinic have done that. Unfortunately, in the last say, nine months, war started in South Sudan. And eventually, the rebel came to the village, looted the clinic. But I'm not going to give up. And this is why I'm crisscrossing crossing America, raising money, get that medical clinic back as soon as possible. <laughs>
1: We have been in the studio with John Dow. John is one of the Lost Boys of Sudan. Now he has started the John Dow Foundation to bring health back to his people in South Sudan. Thank you so much, John, for coming on the trail less traveled.
2: Thank you, Mandela.
1: John, I'd like to end the show with three outdoor adventure tips.
2: So When you decided to break out of your bubbles where you are in, you want to be adventurous. When you go out, believe in yourself. Your judgment is very, very important. You have to keep your water. Take a little bit. Don't take it all. And when you drink, don't drink a lot. Eat a little bit and then carry food until you find other food. Hope is very important. So you must put something aside that will help you to be hopeful. The other third, never, ever turn your back to somebody else. Help each other.
1: Wonderful. John, what song would you like to end the show with?
2: The song that I would like to end the show with is a biblical song. It's a gospel song. That song is very good. It have helped us during the war, during the the struggle, during the journeys. It's very very important. It's something close to my heart. It goes like this: Bandit chawo chajil nathiye, Bandit chawo Gam yum de pyo kudor Chong ne de wedu ye wat yam ye dang danya ye dang danya etete te te wor in yo kule kudor queen ne will peel chuping chaw wo ye gum ne long don di nepul quai kopi di yagamater A gona inu go wo namaste
1: missoula mandela here you have been listening to the trail less traveled the community's source for adventure information and inspiration i would like to thank my guest for this week john dow John was born into the Dinka tribe in war-torn Sudan. In 1987, his village in Duke County was attacked by government troops involved in the Second Sudanese Civil War. As one of the thousands of lost boys of Sudan, Dow wandered hundreds of miles and faced disease, starvation, animal attacks and violence. John is a human rights activist for the people of South Sudan and founder of the John Dow Foundation, which aims to transform healthcare in South Sudan. You can find out more information and help the people of South Sudan by visiting johndowfoundation.org. Find the Trail Less Traveled on Facebook or visit TrailLessTraveled.net to find out more about the show, podcast previous episodes, and read more about the guests. My name is Mandela, your host of The Trail Less Traveled. My goal for the show is to take you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Every week, I will be interviewing an adventurer about what they do, how they do it, and how you can start adventuring in the same fashion. My adventure tip this week is to try and stay downwind of potentially dangerous critters when trekking around the African bush. That's it for this week, Missoula. But until next week's adventure, get outside and shred the gnar. Because the thing about the gnar is, it doesn't shred itself.